So today I'm here with my friend Renita Wicks. I have been friends with Renita since 2011, I think, when I started working at Fort Irwin. And she is currently the, she works for the Public Affairs Office, which is kind of like the public relations for the military as a community relations office officer. And she does, she brings the community and the soldiers together, the soldiers and their families together, and also shares the Army story with the local community and beyond. Is that correct? Yes, and yes. beyond. <laughs> yeah. And she's an a Army veteran. She served eight years as an active duty soldier as combat camera. And she's been working for the government as a civilian, quote unquote, for like 25 years. So I know she's got some stories to tell, so I'll let her tell it. So welcome, and thank you so much for doing this with me. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. This is so cool. So. <laughs> well, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I just want to hear you tell your story. I know you've been married, and you had a fiancé that passed away, and you've got kids, and you're from the South and you're a wonderful cook and all that good stuff. And you met your husband on eHarmony. So that stuff I, actually works. <laughs> I got all kind of crazy going yeah, on. Yeah, you, you do. <laughs> so yeah. let's get to it. Start talking, lady. All right. So, yeah. So been in the, spent eight years in the Army. Totally not planned um, to go in the Army. In fact, um, my family all were betting how fast I would actually come home from basic training. I was a little diva. I didn't like bugs. I didn't like being outside <laughs> that much. Um, I actually had a music scholarship. I sang uh, classical yeah. music. I was an opera singer in high school. So I actually had a full ride scholarship to go to school and, um, and sing. Um, and my first year was great. And I was all focused. I was a nerd. I, I Straight A's. But my dad decided to take the car for me and said I didn't need it until the second year. He's going to make sure I didn't get to a party scene. And so I was kind of annoyed because I was a good kid. Um, and he never got to really spend that much time with me because my dad was in the Navy. We didn't move with him. Then when him and my mom got divorced, we he lived in Florida. We were in North Carolina. So we didn't spend a lot of time together. So I didn't think he really knew my personality. So I came home and said, I'm going in the Army. Uh, I, my cousin was in the Army, and I went hung up, hung out with her in Virginia. I was like, so I'm, I'm going to go to the Army. My dad was like, okay. And my mom burst, burst into tears. She's like, oh, my God, my child is going in the military. And my dad said, she'll be home in two weeks. So were and, you doing it as like a rebellious act? Okay. I told him I was just going to show him. So I was being rebellious. And I didn't think I would make it either. I didn't like to get yelled at. So if my dad or mom yelled at me, I would always burst into tears. So my dad was like, they're going to yell at her. She's going to cry. And she's going to come home. <laughs> and it was about to happen exactly like that. When they got us on the bus and we got to Fort Jackson, South Carolina, they started yelling and throwing our stuff. And I said, I'll go home. <laughs> and, I, and then I could only hear my dad in my head saying, she'll be home in two weeks. So I sucked up the tears and was like, I'm going to do this. I can do this on my own. So every day, I just had to keep hearing my dad say, she's coming home in two weeks. And that's how I actually made through basic training. 
That's the only reason on this earth I made through basic training is because he doubted me and I had to prove him wrong because I'm a very stubborn person. Uh, So there I was in the army and got to Denver, Colorado, beautiful, hadn't been out of North Carolina really besides to go visit my dad sometimes, but not really on my own. And started partying. <laughs> <laughs> That's inevitable, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're at an Air Force base. The Air Force and the Army are completely different. Yes. And so the Air Force is very lax. They had weekends off. And so we we partied. The whole year I was there in Denver. That's what I did. I partied to have fun and was getting used to the military life. So I thought it was really, really, really cool and was loving it. Um, and so got my got my little training done and is that when you up, went to school to be combat camera mm-hmm. and so it's interesting so i went originally to be a um electronic tech didn't know anything about electronics but scored very high and so they put me in the field to learn how to fix tvr tvs and vcrs and i did the whole school and then i got ready to graduate my first sergeant told me that they didn't have that job for me at where I was going that they only had contractors doing that. And so then they sent me through the operator side. So it's very unusual for that to happen. You usually get sent somewhere and they say, oh, well, you're just going to do OJT. So on I the spent job, on the job training. Yep. On the job training. Um, so I spent some more months at that school. So I already went through eight months of electronic tech school. And then I had a two-month break waiting for the next school to start. And then I spent four more months, all at training. So I was really having a good time. <laughs> I will not lie. And then they told me I was going to Fort Irwin. Oh, was um, that your first, like, duty station after training? Uh, yeah. So here's what oh, the, the army tells you to pick three places you want to go. And so I'm from North Carolina. So I said, California. Hawaii and Germany and California came up and I'm like, yay. <laughs> I did not know the desert existed in California. <laughs> the only thing I know about California was palm trees and ocean and people on roller skates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But if you were in the Marine Corps, more than likely you would have been stationed at the beach. But the yeah. army only has very few bases in California. Right, right. And they had Monterey at the time, Fort yeah. Ord, which was up in Monterey. And so I just assumed I was going to be going to Ocean Beachfront <laughs> property. <laughs> and my first sergeant says, so when you get to Vegas, you better spend a week there because that's going to be the last part of civilization that you, you're going to see. <laughs> and I thought he was playing with me. And he was so serious because I was like, <laughs> Someone sent me to hell. <laughs> yeah. So let's describe Fort Irwin. So it's in the middle of the Mojave Desert. So it's yes. literally at least 30 minutes from Barstow. So yeah, 38 most, miles outside yeah. of Barstow. <laughs> 38 miles outside, outside of Barstow. In the and middle not of the desert. towards Victorville, but out to the middle of the desert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Out in the middle. Like it butts the, the base yeah. is like the size of Rhode Island itself because it's a training ground. Yeah. It's a national training mm-hmm. center. And yeah. the back part of the actual property line butts up to Death Valley. 
Yeah, so mm-hmm. it's huge. And then the other side goes out to China Lake. So yeah, pretty <laughs> pretty big area. And, and they take you there at night. So they had a little <laughs> outreach center in Barstow. And you check in, and I'm like, why is he, why are we sitting here all day? And then it gets dark, and they're like, okay, everybody get in the van. And you're driving down this long, dark road, and you think someone's going to dump you out in the desert. All of a sudden, all these lights come out of nowhere, and you're like, oh, wow, this is a big place because you see all the lights. <laughs> and you wake up in the morning, and you realize all those lights were over where the guys who come there to train are sleepy at, and they're not the installation. <laughs> and so it took some getting used to. Um, is a very nice way of putting, oh my God, what what did I do wrong? <laughs> now, why did you choose the Army if your dad was in the Navy and your friend was in the Navy as well? Uh, my, my, I, cause I was just being very, my cousin was in the Army, so oh, okay. I went out with her at Fort Eustis, Virginia, and I thought it was cool because my first experience with being around the army was they had a big old comedy show and all the soldiers were in there and Sinbad came and performed these other big name comedians. And it's a very skewed way of thinking. <laughs> oh, this is army life. <laughs> and so I was like, yeah, it can't be that bad. And then I found out at Fort Irwin that I would not, uh, not have weekends off nor holidays. And I was like, Okay, so <laughs> yeah, because it's a did. national training center, so all the troops, if you will, like all the branches of service, go through there to prepare to go to combat overseas. So they do like fake war scenarios, and they do two week rotations. So you're in the field for two weeks, and then you're yep. off a week, and then you go back for two weeks. Yeah, and so you're <laughs> basically it's a week of build up where everyone's getting all their gear ready and all that other stuff. So you're getting all your crap ready, and then two weeks of out in the desert, and then you come back and dust off all your gear. And of course, you got to do all of your training, and so then you get all of your training done. Then you take that four day wonderful break, uh, which one way it works is for two years you already know what four day break you have. You already know which weekend you have also you can really plan but it kind of sucked when you're used to having weekends or holidays <laughs> off <laughs> you're spoiled but I got to do my job which I used to hear a lot of soldiers complain that they got sent somewhere and, and they weren't doing their job there that oh man I'm not doing what I came in the army to do I could say that every rotation Renita had her camera and was either Riding in a Humvee next to a tank firing or occasionally hiking with the infantry guys, which is probably my least favorite mission, was hiking with a bunch of dudes with their weapons because there was no females in combat arms. Or my favorite, which was flying in a helicopter to do aerial footage, which was the the best way to have to do your job. To get flown around in a Black Hawk helicopter. Yeah, that sounds yeah. like so much yeah. fun. So uh-huh. not so fun. I don't want to get in a helicopter now. Now I'm like, no, I don't want to ride in a helicopter because <laughs> I did it so much. Yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, so I did that for I did that my first tour, and then it was time to re-enlist, and I had the option of going to Germany or stay at Fort Irwin. And originally, I was like, ooh, Europe, I wanted to go to Germany. But then they told me that I was going to the Army's training base over in Hohenswell, which was 
the exact same replica of Florida would suffer in cold and mud and snow. And I was like, no, I think I'll just stay here in the desert because I've gotten used to the heat. I'm only two hours from Vegas. Two hours from LA. Two hours from LA. So you are technically centrally located. (laughs) Yes, that's what I tell people. We make (laughs) we're in the middle of nowhere, but we're actually in the middle of everywhere because we only a couple hour drive, and you can either be skiing or landing the beach or in Vegas losing all your money. Right. So that's some good options. I mean, while that's true, I lived there for three and a half years. It's still a pain in the ass. It is, it is, but when you get the option of not having weekends off and being in the cold and mud or (laughs) being in some wonderful dry heat of the Mojave Desert, you got to choose your vices. And and me, I didn't like cold weather. So So what years were you in the Army? No, thank you. I don't want to go to Germany. What years were you in the Army? What years were they? I was in the Army from 1987 to 1995. So yeah. how how was it being a woman in the military? A few episodes ago, I interviewed my friend who was a retired Marine colonel. She talked a lot about women in the military. So how, what was your experience? Uh, probably like most women back then in those days is uh, I was the only female on my crew. Like when I got stationed for her, when all the females worked in the building and they decided it was time to sort of to mix that up. So I was the first female on my crew. And so the guys gave me a hard time a lot of times um, because I still couldn't get rid of Miss Little Prissy. So I literally would, we had a truck that we always took with all of our supplies and all that stuff. And it had electricity and stuff. So I literally would kick everybody out of the truck, heat up my kettle, have my washcloth, my soap. And I'm, I thought, everyone's like, why do you smell so fresh all the time? I got to watch my face. I was I was ridiculous. I was very uh, ridiculous. The first time I ever had to use a porta potty because I had never been around a porta potty. The wow. guys thought it was funny to tell me to make sure that I looked down when I looked went in there because snakes would be in there. No, all over it. <laughs> so <laughs> that was not nice. And then they took me on top of this hill and, and they're like, oh, this is part of your training. You got to learn how to drive a Humvee down these hills out here. And so in the desert, there's this thing called moon dust. So it's real fine sand. It's almost like powder. And so here I am. They all jump in the passenger seats and behind me and I'm in the driver's seat. And they're like, OK, drive down the hill and do not break. So I'm driving down this hill. And I noticed that all of them leaned down to cover their heads, and I hit this big old pile of powder that I <laughs> covered from head to toe. It took like a whole week to get all that mess out of my hair and my gear. So those were just some things guys would do. But eventually, they accepted me because I decided I'd be hardcore. You know, I wasn't going to just give up. And they just accepted me, and I just became one of the guys. Plus, I could cook very well even in a desert environment. And so I had an electrical skillet. Oh, gosh, I would do all the grilling, and I would cook these potatoes and stuff. And even the rotational soldiers who were training would drive up and be like, would you sell us a plate for $100? <laughs> I 
it's like we could smell that across the entire <laughs> desert. <laughs> yeah, when you're out in the middle of the desert, your senses are probably heightened. Yeah, and when you're eating a military meal called a meal ready to eat MRE, and back then they were very disgusting, <laughs> then you would probably just empty your whole wallet to get a <laughs> nice meal um, back then. So yeah. So that's that that's the reason. I mean, part of the reason why you're so tough today, and so you're tough and you're smart witted. I mean, you really got a lot of common sense, like street smart. You can read people. So do you think that that's like, it sounds like that's where you kind of got it from. Yeah, the army teaches resilience. You have to learn how to adapt and overcome, figure out problems because no one's going to figure it out for you. Um, And it really kind of lets you have to figure out on your own what kind of soldier or what kind of person you're going to be. So you, and you have great leaders surrounding you who really just empower you to just go for it. And so that's what I loved about the Army. You have a great team. Um, I love that. Once I've gotten to everyone accepted me, I became that team. And so we were always protective of each other. Uh, We looked out for each other. And it wasn't like in corporate America where everyone's trying to get promoted and people don't care about stepping all over you. We didn't do that. We actually helped each other get promoted. We would study together, push each other to be better. And so... I think that's the biggest difference between the military and corporate America on a lot of levels is that we're more supportive of how do you get to that next level together. Sure. Um, And there's a lot of mentorship too, a lot of leadership. And in some corporations, you don't get that. You don't, you don't get any leadership, no mentor, you know, no mentorship. And so they're just your worker bees and that's it. Yeah, and the Army prepares you to be a leader because that's what they're they're doing. They're grooming the next generation of leaders. And so that's that's what they do. And so um, and we had our Army values, and, and we lived by them. Um, and I won't say that we weren't bad soldiers sometimes, of course. You know, everybody got that little rebellious side of where you, you're going to try to figure out how to get over a little bit <laughs> sometimes. But I would say that was... It was probably the best decision I made by accident <laughs> anyway was it really made me grow up, not depend on mom and dad, and learn how to to be a leader, learn how to um, survive in tough environments because I really had to toughen up. You know, you see a rattlesnake for the first time and you're ready to run. You learn how to, how to just stand up. And, and so I appreciated the Army and really grooming me for whatever I wanted to do, whether it was going to stay in the beast, uh, whether it was to be a soldier forever or get out. And I think I would have made it a lifetime career had I not got married and had children. Um, because my first daughter, the first time she walked and the first time she talked, it was for the babysitter. And so mm-hmm. I'm very jealous and envious that someone else got to have those moments with my child and not me. When my when my second daughter came along, I decided enough was enough, and um, I was getting out. I was like, I want to be around my children, and I want to be the one seeing them at their school kindergarten class, singing their little songs and all that stuff. So I was like, yeah, Army, it's been great, but it's time to go. Um, and so I love being around the Army, and Raytheon was at that time, the military was actually 
changing all of our jobs on Fort Irwin as combat cameramen over to civilian jobs. And so it worked out perfect. So I literally had enough time to pack my house up on Fort Irwin, find a place to bar so move it all in, find a babysitter, and I was right back to work. So about two weeks off, and I was back driving to Fort Irwin and, and working away. But like normal hours now. You didn't have to work weekends or anything like no, that, right? No, no, I was still working weekends because we just took over from soldiers, which means meant that we had 24-hour shifts, so people would work different shifts, you know, and weekends and holidays. Um, we still worked that rotational schedule as a contractor. So, but, so, but if you, you – what's that? But you got paid more. Yeah. So, like, your schedule didn't really change. How did you spend more time with your children? Well, because instead of me having someone watch my watch my someone watching my kids for two or three days while I was out in the training area, they only had to watch them for my eight-hour shift of work. Oh, right. Uh, okay. Uh-huh. So I got to be home with them in, in the evenings, or if I had to work swing shift, then I got to take them to school in the morning. So it just depended on what shift I was on. But I only had to work eight hours a day and sometimes a little overtime. But still, and you got two days off during the week or on the weekend, depending on how the schedule is made. So we didn't work 24 days straight, four days off. We did two days off a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so how, how was your dad? How was his reaction when you completed boot camp and you did a year and then eight years? He, he was actually really thrilled and happy that his daughter accomplished something. He was always worried about me. And so he always had these secret conversations with my first sergeant that I didn't know until years mm. later that he was calling to check on me. One of my old first sergeants you met who passed away, Phil Jackson. Yeah. Um, I was like a daughter to him because him and my dad talked a lot. Mm. <laughs> and I didn't know it. And so... So, but he was he was very proud, and I come home and he always brag about me to his his friends and say, "This is my daughter was in the army," and stuff. And so he was he was really happy, and he had my picture of me in my uniform up in the house. It just it just made his day. I think he'd have been happy regardless of what I did if I either went to go sing, because he always bragged about me singing or being in pageants and, and all that stuff. It just made his day. So I think. Regardless of what I would have done in life, he would have been happy as long as I, I was happy doing what I wanted to do. Sure. So. And your parents are both passed away, I believe? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Well, I lost my mom to breast cancer in 2002 and then lost dad about six years after that. My dad was a Vietnam vet and, and so he ended up with, um, he was a sh- in the Navy, a boiler technician. And so, of course... Most people know they they end up all with um, a lot of them end up with cancer, so he died from cancer as well and congestive heart failure six years after mom did. Um, but you know what I have to say is they they lived their lives though they were even though they got both divorced they were about to get back together it was so interesting oh really mom got sick someone said your dad was in Kenston which is my hometown in North Carolina. I was like, yeah, like, yeah, him and your mom were out to dinner. I was like, him and my mom out to dinner. What else to do? <laughs> Unfortunately, yes, she passed, lost her 
her battle to breast cancer. But yeah, they that's so interesting to find that out. I was like, what is going on? <laughs> you know, when you get older, like funny things start happening. My yeah, dad was kind of the same way, you know, you're like, hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. So, but yeah, so we were, uh, they were happy. And, and I think my mom was always proud of me. You know, she was just that mom who just gleamed and bragged about you. Once she got over the fear and worry about her daughter being far away, she was okay with it. Yeah. Well, good. So you were Mm -hmm. married. How long were you married? And then you were engaged too, right? I I was married. We stayed married about about nine years and and then we divorced and and then uh, got in. Actually, I was engaged twice after him. (laughs) Um, One of them, of course, got killed in Iraq. And so that was very hard because him and my younger brother were deployed at the same time in Iraq. My little little brother was with a a SEAL unit. I would rarely hear from him. And when Charles got killed, he was the first sergeant in the Army. And he he, he had all two soldiers. And so he was the type of soldier and the type of leader that he would never ask his soldiers to do something he wouldn't do. Sure. It was just him. And so after he'd already lost two mm-hmm. soldiers to um, IEDs, he decided he'd go out and help recover a vehicle that had got blown up earlier that day, but they didn't lose anyone. And the insurgents had set up IEDs all around the vehicle. And oh, so no. him and his three soldiers all lost their life. Um, I always tell people I can't be angry because, you know, a lot of us pray that we, we, we die doing something we love or we die peacefully. And I will say he died doing exactly what he loved the most. And that was being with his soldiers. He, he I mean, that was just him. He, whether he was in uniform or not in uniform, in uniform, he was a soldier <laughs> all the time. <laughs> it was hard to break it. It was like, Hey dudes, you're off. No, he, it was never off. <laughs> so never. did that experience up until that point, how old were you when that happened? Um, so that was 2006. So was that 13 years ago? So in my thirties. Mm-hmm. So you're 50. I'm 51 now. 51 yeah. now. Would you say that your life perspective changed after that or did it stay the same? It sounded like uh, you had, you came from a very loving and supportive family. So, you know, I think my perspective stayed the same. One of the things for him is he didn't have that kind of support from his family. He was a very talented artist, and his mom was an educator, and they all thought that he should have been doing art and not being in the Army. Um, and wow, so they, that's like the opposite usually, right? Uh-huh. You know? And so they never, they never came out to see any of the amazing stuff that he was doing or him being a soldier. They didn't pay attention to any of that stuff. So for me, it just made me really appreciate that my family appreciated me, uh, just supported me so much. Um, but it also made me think about what should I be doing in life and am I happy doing whatever I'm doing? And if I'm not, why am I doing it? Um, it, it changed that perspective of go do something else if you're not happy. And but that's you, were how doing, were you, you were doing what you loved, right? 
Yeah, yeah, I was doing what I love, but one of the things, you know, we get we get friends who may not be the best thing for you in life. And one of the things he taught me is why are you being friends with people who are toxic, who are not good for you? I was like, well, they're my friend. And you know how you feel obligated because you, you've known this person for 15, 16 years and you got to stay friends. And for me, I didn't know how to sometimes, I guess I was too nice sometimes. And that drove him nuts. And I, I would say I learned from him with that. He was like, no, you you need to stand up and realize that person's doing nothing good for your life. They're not bringing in any good. And so uh, when he passed away, I cleaned house. <laughs> I was like, yeah, why am I being friends with this person? And <laughs> I just started saying, you know, I don't really need to be friends with you. You're not really doing anything that's positive for me. And so I, I took that away and it, it really made me a better person at that moment. Like this weight lifted of these folks who were just taking, 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 letting them go and realizing that it's okay not to be surrounded by 15 or 20 people. I'm from the South. So we're used to having like lots of people around because of our families and we're used to hosting parties and all that stuff. And I learned how to be alone um, after he passed away because I wasn't used to that. That was all, that was something that was a real testament was being alone for a change um, with myself. So, and so I grew a lot. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's and your, the- and your tribe now is pretty big. I mean, you still yeah, have, I mean, <laughs> you throw parties, you love to cook and there's always a ton of people at your house, but they're always yeah. the same people. So you have a pretty strong tribe. Yeah. And they're different kind of people. Like uh, um, I'm one of the youngest ones in the bunch. Most of them are all older and re- retired, which makes me jealous. I'm like, oh, everybody's retired. Yeah, like, but non-military, right? They're not. No, no. Some of them worked for Raytheon. One was a nurse. One was worked at a prison. So they, and then so I get jealous that they can have that one more glass of wine, and I'm like, uh, uh-uh, I need to go to bed. I got to get up in the morning. <laughs> but they all, we all volunteer. That was that's one of the things that really brought us together. We all give back, and so it's a different kind of tribe. We, they are my volunteer crew. When I need a call, just like you, when I need to call someone, say. I have this big event that I've brainstormed to come up with. Can you come help? And they, they all come, come help. You know, when I uh, decided I was going to get, when me and my husband met, like you said, we, we met on eHarmony because I just was too busy to really date to get to know someone. Um, and eHarmony worked because we, you know, we got to know each other online without the uncomfortableness and weirdness of sitting across the table from a stranger. And when we decided to get married, all of our friends did all the decorations, all my girlfriends in the house, building all the bouquets and, and our best man, John, he said he had never seen a wedding get put together from beginning to end. And he just was, he couldn't believe that we all liked each other that much. He's like, I've never been around a whole group of people who all really like each other for real. <laughs> Which so, was funny to hear, hear someone say that. But it was, it was, it was, it was a weekend of love. My husband went to Dartmouth and all his Dartmouth buddies all flew in from Miami and 
Pittsburgh and Chicago and all those places. And my family all got on the plane and came from North Carolina and we all melded into this, this big group of, of, of one big family. Yeah. And how old, were, how are you, how old were you when you got married? Uh, so four years ago, so 47. See, there's the, still hope for me yet. <laughs> this weekend is our four-year anniversary because really? we got married on Memorial Weekend. That's right. So, yep, to make it a party for everyone. And and so we're we're still just enjoying life and loving wine. And, you know, we keep threatening all our friends that, we need to just do another one of those weekends where everybody fly in again and we just all hang out for five days. Yeah. Because uh, it really was a five-day wedding, basically. Now, um, so, so if I'm remembering this correctly, and I maybe I'm not, were one of your pro- eHarmony profiles, somebody set them up for you and you didn't know? Or am I thinking of somebody else? Oh, you're thinking of someone else because okay. I I spent, my, uh, I spent a lot of time working on that profile, being very honest, honest and and upfront. You know, they ask some crazy questions, and I'm, and you get a chance to either pick a pick an answer or write your own answer. And like I wrote my own answer on a lot of stuff. Like, why is this important? And <laughs> who cares about Britney Spears or all kinds of stuff? And that's what attract. He just cracked up that. I spent all this time answering these questions instead of just clicking A or B or whatever. So he he thought that was pretty funny. But so. didn't he like look at your profile a couple times and like and then you finally were like, dude, <laughs> what do you yeah, doing? <laughs> yeah, he said that he thought he was too old for me because you get to put the slider bar on how important age is to you. And I didn't care. I was like, whatever, you know, life is life. And he put that he didn't really care about age. And so we are 12 years, he's 12 years older than me. And so when he looked at my picture, he goes, oh, she's young. She'll never like me. And he looked at my picture again. And I was like, don't stare at me and not say hello. That's what I, that's what I said. <laughs> I didn't stare at me and not say hello. <laughs> I love it. And then he goes, oh, I thought I was too old for you. And then it just went from there and, and, you know, we talked, we emailed, emailed a lot till we got comfortable with sharing each other's phone numbers. And then he lived in Paso Robles and I'm down here in the desert. And so we spent a lot of time on the phone talking about music. He read bedtime stories to me sometimes. Of course, I fall asleep on the phone and hang up. And so we did all that stuff. And, and then like a month went by and we finally said, okay, let's, let's meet face to face. And our first date, I had him come down here to where I lived. And we went to lunch and he went over to the hotel and I said, I'll meet you at the restaurant right there at the hotel for dinner. And he had no idea that it was karaoke night and all of my friends were going. Girl loves her some karaoke, let me tell you. So all of my friends, (laughs) all 12 of them are at karaoke. He comes in and then they're like, drink a Jaeger shot and all this, all this. Oh my Lord. So he got thrown in to the fire. Right out the gate. Yeah, because he's pretty yeah. mellow, and he you is. are like the total opposite. You don't stop. You, we you don't are sleep. Yeah, yeah, and he'll, but he'll <laughs> do whatever you want. 
Yeah, he just rolls right along, yeah. like, okay, whatever you say. Every now and then he'll be like, he's like, enough is enough. And he'll, <laughs> he'll shut me down. But that is very rare that uh, that he does that. So Yeah, he lets you be you. You're crazy, yeah, Renita. He, he does. He's not jealous because I know a lot of people and, I'm, and, uh, and lots of people come up, hug me and talk to me. And he isn't threatened by that. He can hold his own and and have his own kind of conversation with folks. And so that was really important. In fact, that was one of the important things I wrote on my profile is that I need a man who is secure enough to be able to come to my chaotic world and still be calm uh, in his own way. And and that's exactly what he, he is. He's the calm to the storm. Yeah. <laughs> He's great. Bob is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how would you, out of all these years of experience and what you've been through, how would you define living with no regrets? Um, You know, it, I used to always say I have no regrets, but, you know, I, I wish I could say that because I do. Because, you know, I wish I would have went home more in the military. I wish I would have made that time to go. Had I known my mom was going to die at, at 52 years old, mm-hmm. uh, years old, I would have definitely made an effort to not work so much and go home every couple months. So every few months, her last year that she was alive, I went home every single month because the doctors basically told us we had a year. So every month I was on the plane with my kids, with her uh, to go see her. The kids got to spend a lot of time with her because I would send them um, to her in the summer months and, and they would get to hang out with grandma for the whole summer and that kind of stuff. But I, I wish I would have realized how important that time was versus the craziness of of making money to provide for my kids. Because that was my biggest thing. When I got divorced and became a single mom, my whole thing was to be able to provide for them, to be able to have nice clothes for them, to be able to put them in all these different programs and do all this stuff. That's all I cared about. Focus on, you need to go home, see family. Um, and so I wish I would have had a chance to do that more. So that's, that, so that's always going to be one of those regrets that, that I think I would have. But other than that, I really could say I just live life. I don't wait for anything. I'm like, if I figure out there's something I want to do, um, I'm going to figure out how to do it. And I dream big all the time. And I say, if you fall a little short, at least you tried versus not trying at all. Um, and so that's what I hope my kids have learned is to dream big. You can do it. And if you don't accomplish it, there's always another time to try it again. <laughs> and so that's, that's what life's about. It's about just enjoying the moments you get, you know, with your friends and cause you don't get those all the time. And the next day someone could be gone and you wished you would have had that second to sit down and, and talk with them or, you wish you would have sent that text that you were thinking about doing, but you got busy. And I don't do that. I call when I want to call. Like, oh, think about my friend. I'm calling. I don't care what I'm doing. I can be in the middle of all kind of madness. And if I'm th- one of my friends is on my mind, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna check on them. So. So I would, I would, would you say that you live completely in the present moment? You don't worry about the past, and you're not right. stressing about the future unless it has to do with like a work event or something, right? <laughs> Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, the past is the past. We can't can't change it. It is what it is. It's what's made you who you are at the moment. 
Um, if you've done the right thing, which is take the good lessons, learn from the bad lessons and make yourself a better person. But that's as much as I take out of the past. Of course, there's the photos of, of all the good times that you had. But you, you those are the memories. And right now is the moments that you got to think about. Because those are going to be somebody else's memories. Because sooner or later, we got to move along. And I always tell the kids, I got more days behind me than in front of me. So life is about what you're doing with it now. Um, so that's what we, that's that's what I do. That's why I love my soldiers so much and keep them out there having all these fun memories. Is because I know what it's like to wear the uniform and work, 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 go, go, go. Um, and you hear people say, thank you for your service. Um, and they say it so quick and they keep on moving. And, and at this point, it sounds cliche. It's like, are you really thanking them for the service? Cause it, and, and have you stopped for a second and figured out why did they come in the military and where they're from and what their life is like? Because most people think service members signed up to go in the military because they had nothing else to do. I had straight A's. I could have went to college and not ruin my voice and and been this brilliant singer, hopefully <laughs> that was meant to be, you know, one of my good friends, he went to MIT before he came in the army and made millions of dollars before he came, and then decided he wanted to serve. Um, so people coming in the military don't have to come. It's just something that I think they're drawn to. It's just meant to be. Yeah. No, that's mm-hmm. beautiful. So what are you grateful for? Uh, I'm grateful for wearing that uniform. I'm grateful for coming from a family who have worn the uniform and 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 sacrificed um, so that other people didn't have to. That made my dad proud, my mom proud, um, my uncles. You know, they still brag on me when they see me out doing stuff with the soldiers. Like, look at our niece still serving and still take care of the the soldiers, knowing that we're doing that for the right reason. And it's really because our military deserves that acknowledgement. Um, and then my kids, I'm so happy of who they become. You know, they're go-getters. Grandbaby is smart as she can be. Mm-hmm. time. <laughs> like, where they get so smart? I'm just grateful for everything God has blessed me with, you know. Like you, I've had a near-death experience. And being able to say, I'm still here because of God's good graces um, and his mercy. Don't waste a minute of it because he kept you on earth for a reason. Yep. So I feel like he still has a lot of missions for me to get done. So that's why I keep pushing. Yep. <laughs> and you don't stop. So uh, no, don't <laughs> stop. <laughs> I don't know when you sleep, girl, I swear. Well, I want to, when I do, you. I crash. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I want to thank you so much for your time today. Do you have any last thoughts that somebody may need, may need to hear? I think the biggest one is sometimes you think you're at your lowest moment. And a chaplain years, years, years ago talked to me about this. It was my first, my first mission at Fort Irwin. There was a helicopter crash and they sent us to go videotape it and I'm thinking I'm just going to see wreckage and had no idea that when they say it just happened, that there would still be bodies. Mm. And so I was not prepared mentally for that and, and went through a lot of mental anguish, I guess you would say. But uh, my chaplain gave me a thing was, it said, you never knew he was all that you needed until he was all that you had. So people 
we we lose a lot of service members to suicide, and a lot of people who are not in the military to suicide will ever think that you're there by yourself because he's always there with an open ear for you to hear. Um, and there's always somebody who cares about you. Yep. Always, even if you don't think they do, there's always somebody who has you on their mind. And if you could think of that person and you could think of what they would feel if they knew something happened to you, then you know you got to stick around a little bit longer. So I just, I've lost a friend to suicide and it just leaves everyone asking why. Um, and so I just beg everyone who is dealing with any any type of mental illness or, or just depression, don't forget there's somebody who really, really cares about you. Right. Really, so, um, that's what I would say um, at this moment is that we all have someone who's in our corner. Right. So, I think that's perfect. I think this is the perfect time for that because there's a lot of people going through a lot of hard times and they need that reminder. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And I love you because you're one of my great friends. <laughs> I love you're you my too. Go-to people. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate your time. I know you're so busy, but thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I'm glad we could get together soon. We got to go have that glass of wine. I know. Soon. <laughs> All right, my friend. Well, thanks for having me on. You're welcome.